the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. This show is usually about estate planning and elder law, but the second part of the show, we we talk about different aspects of, of life, politics, history, religion. I guess we're going to be talking a little bit about politics and religion because we have on Father Patrick Devine, who's, who's really a very interesting man who's been a missionary in Africa for over 30 years, and he's got some stories to tell, and his mission, I think, is, is really fascinating. So if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, you feel free to email us a question. Michael, what's our email address? If you want to email a question for the show, um, sometimes we'll answer it on air. Other times, obviously, if it's more confidential, we'll get in touch with you separately. But if you want to send us a question, you can shoot it over to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. Okay, now, we are going to be doing seminars at the end of June, which is the end of this month. I mean, it's hard to believe. But we're going to be in Brooklyn and Queens. On Monday, June 27th, we're going to be in Marine Park at Buckley's. I'm not sure if it's Marine Park or Sheepshead Bay. But in any event, it's at 2926 Avenue S. That's Nostrand Avenue and Avenue S. 2926 Avenue West in Marine Park, Buckley's, at 11 o'clock and 3 p.m. We're going to be in Connolly's Corner on Maspeth on Tuesday, June 28th. That's 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. We're going to be June 27th in Marine Park, June 28th in Maspeth. Connolly's Corner, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. That's 7117 Grand Avenue. On Wednesday, June 29th, we're going to be at our home base in Brooklyn. We're going to be at the Greenhouse Cafe, 11 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 7 o'clock. So if you're working at night, you're working during the day, I'm saying you can see us at night. So that's at the Greenhouse Cafe, 11 o'clock, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. That's 7717 3rd Avenue, 78th Street and 3rd Avenue. On Thursday, June 30th, the last day of the month, we're in Bayside. At the Adria Hotel, we've been doing seminars at the Adria Hotel for, I don't know, probably 25 years now. 
and we're doing our seminars there at 11 o'clock and 3 p.m. Bayside, the Adria Hotel at 221-17 Northern Boulevard. And what do we talk about the seminars? Well, I'd say the main the, the main point we usually talk about the seminars, what most people have a question about is what am I going to do with my house? What is the best way to transfer the house to my children? And, you know, there, there, there's usually not one right answer to everything. But for the most part, I'm going to say the answer for 90% of the people is going to be doing a trust agreement. And basically the idea behind a trust agreement, it's your house as long as you're alive. After you're gone, it goes tax-free to your child or children or nephews and nieces, depending on the circumstances. They usually don't have to pay any tax. There's no estate. There's no death tax in New York under $6 million right now, $6,060,000, and that's $6 million for husband, $6 million for wife. So 90 95% of the time, we can get the house out tax-free. We can get the estate out tax-free if we plan it right. And that's where some people make a mistake. They just give the house to the son or daughter. Then when when they're gone and the son or daughter sells the house or the children sell the house, they're going to have to pay a capital gains tax. And let's say the house is worth a million dollars, which is not a lot in today's world. And the parents paid $50,000 for the house, and it's worth a million on date of death. If it's not done right, children have to pay over $300,000 in taxes. If we do it right, we do it through a trust, children don't have to pay anything. They net a million dollars for the house, let's say, after they pay their closing costs, the real estate broker or whatever. They put a million dollars in their pocket. They do not have to pay tax. And that's the way we just want to go. And, and listen, if you'll see it if you come to the seminars. You'll see it if you come into the office. Whatever plan I give you, the plan basically is that we want to pay the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally. We don't want your children to have to pay more money in taxes. We want them to pay less money in taxes. We don't want to do anything that's going to cost your children money in taxes. Our goal is to get as much money to the family as possible, as legally possible, and we'll stretch the limits to that. But we want to get as much possible to your children tax-free, where they don't have to go to court, go to probate. In the last couple of years, we've heard some horror stories as far as probate is concerned. So we want to avoid probate. Probate is when you pass away. If you have assets in your name alone when you pass away, it goes through court. Courts are moving very slowly right now. We want to avoid going through court. And actually, we want to avoid going through court whether we're alive or dead. And that's what we're going to be telling you about the seminars. Now, Michael, we also have a seminar on YouTube. So you can tell the audience where to get that. Yeah. Um, assuming you you know, either don't want to or unable to make it out to one of our in-person seminars, though we really do recommend that you try to make it out to one of those because that's probably one of the best ways and it's always more personal. But if you want to give yourself a briefer on estate planning and so forth and a lot of the subjects that we cover, maybe to figure out if you want to learn more, go to youtube.com and just type in the video, the search bar, um, Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. That's Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. It should be the first thing that shows up. You'll see Dad right there. It's a nice long video, and it'll get you, you know, it'll allow you to brush up on a lot of the topics that you might want to start thinking about. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break, and after we come back, we're going to be talking to Father Patrick Devine. Thanks for being with us. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of S. Lawyer. Right now, you know, we've had a number of missionaries on this show over the years, and we're pleased to have another one. And we have Father Patrick Devin from... Of, now, what's the name of the organization? Shalom? From the Shalom Center for Conflict Resolution and Reconciliation. So how do you get the name Shalom? Well, Shalom is a fantastic concept for peace because a lot of people think of it as a greeting, but it means peace with justice and reconciliation holistically integrated. I mean, it's right there in the Judeo-Christian tradition, Shalom, and it has a holistic um, appreciation of what peace is because Michael, peace isn't just the absence of violence, that's only the negative peace. Peace is about uh, where all sides are mutually committed to the well-being, security 
and harmony of each other. And that's positive peace. And that's the meaning, the fullness of the meaning of reconciliation and shalom. Now, what part of the world is your mission located? So we're located in Eastern Africa, um, mainly operating in the countries of Kenya, Southwest Ethiopia, Southwest Sudan, and Sudan, and we have some projects going on in Tanzania. So a huge area. And um, what exactly is your mission? I mean, what are you what are you trying to accomplish? Well, we have been. I've been working in Eastern Africa since 1988. Um, I was ordained a priest in the Society of African Missions, and I went there. I was very involved in the pastoral care of the refugees coming out for. And then I got more and more interested in conflict zones. And, Michael, you have to imagine in conflict talk to address the underlying causes of such conflict, as distinct from other NGOs who deal with the symptoms of conflict in terms of disaster relief or hunger relief and so on. So we were set up to address the underlying causes so that these social and religious factors can take deep root. All right, now let me ask you, you're in a lot of countries. What are the differences? What country? Well, in each of these countries, you have very di- diverse climatic uh, conditions and very diverse terrain. So we mainly work in semi-arid uh, terrain. And in, in, in those terrains, like survival is a, a, weekly, a weekly challenge for the people there. Identify the key influential opinion shapers in those zones, like peace, religious leaders, women's leaders, youth and warriors, and the basic human needs and to actualize their... Now, you have their medical um, education and so on. So survival is such a difficult thing, and that means you don't have law and order around or legal redress. Just think of this, Michael. If you took the police off the streets of New York for one week, just one week, would loose and rob and people would set up ghettos and arms. So just imagine what people have to do in these contexts where I'm talking about. And uh, many of them, we are working in among them, proclaiming the gospel of peace and truth and justice and mercy. Now, how many how many different types of, of cultures do you have to run into? And I can imagine it's, it's we can't count them, but maybe you can. Well, it's, it's, Kenya alone has 46 different um, ethnic communities that have their own distinct cultures and languages. Uh, but of course, there are certain uh, forms of communication, like for Kiswahili is the language we use, and we're all fluent in it. And uh, we have to go in there, and you have to get to know the people. You have to build the trust. And our approach is to empower the people with the analytical skills and what's causing conflict and the peace-building techniques so that they can become the architects of their interdependent future. And it's coming from the bottom of the grassroots, because from the top down, all it can do at times, peacekeeping can only create a negative peace, just the absence of violence. But to bring about reconciliation, you must empower the people to be the architects of their own future. Now, how many different conflicts do you run into? We, uh, I, I, I mean, <laughs> go ahead, yes. No, sorry, Michael. No, no. I, we, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So, Michael, at the moment, we are working in approximately 28 conflict zones. Um, so you take a, a tribe like the Turkana tribe in northwestern Kenya. Um, so they are in five intercommunal, interethnic conflicts at the moment within Kenya with the Pokots and the Samburus, then across the border with Ethiopia with the Marilla Datsanak. 
with the Toposa out of South Sudan and with the Karamojong um, from Uganda. So you can imagine what it's like trying to survive in those environments. And that's only one ethnic community. So you have cycles of conflict. Now, it's not a case that there's war going on every day of the week, but every month you have killings and maimings and displacements. But I should also stress the point that not all of these countries are experiencing conflict, are all areas of the conflict. Many, many areas of Kenya are very well developed. And uh, as you know, it's a big tourist attraction. And I always encourage that as well uh, for people who come into those areas where where there is peace. But we want to address the areas where there's not peace to go to the most abandoned. And that's what our our job is in Shalom. Okay, so let's say you go into uh, what you say most abandoned place. What do you do? How, how do you work? How do you, how do you try to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Okay, so as our group, um, Shalom, we are a group of men and women. Everyone has to be qualified with a master's degree in peace studies or political science or that area of development. And thirdly, everyone has to commit to work in these zones. So the first thing we do is we spend a lot of time with the people. And of course, uh, we are using also the resources that are there from the church and missionaries that already are living in those areas to identify the key influential opinion shapers. And that's so important, the key influential opinion shapers. And that can be, as I said, the chiefs, religious leaders, not necessarily politicians at all, people who have a big impact on life in the community in terms of peace or conflict or in terms of bringing about sustainable development. So we spend a long time identifying them and they know we're doing the same, we're engaged in the same process on the other side. And then we start training them over 18 months with the analytical skills and what's needed to analyze what's causing the conflicts. Because usually that works out of three paradigms. It's about either power, and power, as you know, is always about attaining your security and interest. And in the realism of power, if you can't achieve it by manipulative persuasion, you revert to what? Threats and sanctions. And the last resort, of course, is coercion. Now, we hear that every day also about international conflict. The other way of looking at it, Michael, is to begin to train the people about if they had enough institutions to meet their basic human needs and to actualize their potential, would this help to transform a conflict situation to peace? And for that, you have to work with governments and with the local community to build up a law and order basis, to build up legal redress, your own area, Michael, and then to help the people with medical education and so on. And thirdly is to set up great communication, to work on the general environment, how we can create better systems of communication between the tribes in terms of leadership and forums because there is so much of conflict in this world is contingent on how we use the positive attributes that already exist in the environment. How do you establish law and order when there wasn't law and order before? How do you even begin to do that? Well, the tribes themselves, of course, have great, uh, long before ever Western or modernization came in there, their own conflict management uh, mechanisms. But we have to work with the government, the setting up of police posts, setting up roads, because there's no point having a police post unless they can operate, and putting putting them into place, uh, helping the people themselves to get more and more education. And I must say at this point, that I've never met a parent in that environment or those environments yet who doesn't want a better future for their children. So they people themselves are so keen that the government 
should have equitable distribution of uh, mechanisms of law and order throughout the whole country and not just in some areas. Now, do you have any great resistance from religions that may be antagonistic to the Catholic Church or Christianity in general? Well, we have no resistance, Michael, really, from the traditional native religions that are, were part of the, the, the fiber of African life even before Christian or Islamic um, people ever arrived, or certainly before Christian missionaries ever arrived. And um, they are very interested. And, of course, the, the, the Christian church um, is widespread throughout Africa. Um, we do meet... Um, difficulties with religious ideological extremism, Mike, in, in, in some areas, especially along the east coast of Africa where we work. As you know, you're probably very aware there's problems in Nigeria with Boko Haram, and then you have the problems where ISIS um, influences are across the Sahel, which is sort of the southern part of the Sahara Desert, right across from east to west. But in our area, we're mainly dealing with Al-Shabaab out of Somalia. ISIS are also have spread down the east coast of Africa, you have Al-Qaeda. So that has to be addressed as well. And for our work in the Shalom Center, we're mainly addressing that in the slums around the major cities because they are the breeding grounds for their, their cells for these organizations. And uh, that's a very sensitive work, Michael. You could lose your head very easily at that work. Um, on the interethnic conflict work we do, um, you don't meet the same sinister dangers. Let me ask you something, because I think a, a lot of our listeners, have, when, when you talk about an, a native African religion, what do they believe in and what, what what's their concept of the world? Well, I want to tell you, long before any missionary arrived, God was present in the psychic and in the psychology and spirituality of Africa. God was lo there a long time before us. And as I have said, working with a lot of the, uh, the tribes in Africa, all we're doing is bringing the icing in the cake because so many of the Christian values were already operational in their own religious, cultural milieu. And uh, so they have a great sense of the integrated unity of God and nature and humanity. And then when they hear the good news of the gospel of peace and truth and justice and mercy and the salvation and eternal life, that death is not the end. It really is good news for them. And that's why the church is growing at such a rapid pace and the amount of people coming to that perspective of life, the Christian perspective. Why, why is the church expanding? I mean, I, I, you certainly touched upon it by there, but how, how much is the church expanding in Africa? Well, if you look at Kenya at the moment, I, you can Google this, anybody can. Um, I see that the latest statistic is they're claiming 85% of Kenya is now Christian, and there's about 15% Islamic. Um, the, Christi, the Christian is probably divided equally between Catholic and the other multitude of Protestant denominations. So that's just Kenya. Uh, you have other countries, of course, to be more Islamic because Islam was long was there much earlier than Christianity, like, for example, Sudan, um, Somalia, uh, just those countries and, of course, North Africa. And then just south of Sahara into northern parts of Nigeria and so on. How did Christianity first come to your part of Africa? When did it first come? Well, it really, while there was early... Um, uh, groups that came along the coast of East Africa, especially when they discovered the passage by 
via South Africa to India that stopped along the coast. But really, it only began to take a major foothold in the late 19th century, from about 18, 1860 onwards. And mainly missionaries that came out and began to move into the hinterlands. The lifespan for a lot of missionaries was very limited. Like I think in my own order up until 1900, most of the missionaries died before within two years. So there were huge sacrifices. So guys like us and uh, are continuing that when we're moving into the areas that we consider the most abandoned today because there's huge areas where the church uh, people people following, we say the Christian message, um, they might only make up 10, 20 percent of the population. Tell me, you know, tell me something about your order. I think most of the how founded, how it started, and why did you join? Well, I joined uh, this order because when I was 18, I always say I never bugged priesthood. It bugged me, and it wouldn't go away, this idea, and to go to the third world. And I met this group, the Society of African Missions, and was very clear that they were totally devoted to Africa. So everyone that joins my group has to make a life commitment to Africa. Very, it's one thing, shouting hallelujah and all that, but sometimes <laughs> you have to burn the boats, burn the boats behind you, and we made a life commitment. And it's one of, one of the difficulties with fundraising, Michael, because we don't have alumni all around the world. All our work is in Africa. So I have to come with cap in hand when I come over here to the States. Uh, so uh, we were set up, so we're... We're working in 19 countries in Africa at the moment, and that is our our uh, our mission is to go to the most abandoned to proclaim the good news. We were founded by a French bishop, uh, Bishop Marion de Bresiac, and he was asked by Cardinal Barnabo in 1854 to set up a, a group of men for West Africa missionaries, women working with us now. And 50, late 58, 59, and I think out of the first seven, six of them were dead within six months. So that's how we found it. It was a very difficult beginning. But more and more people started coming. And the impact has been huge uh, in the Society of African Missions. Uh, we have many, many other orders came, came along. For example, and I don't mean this in a boat sense, I was the chairman of religious superior prince of Kenya. And that was that today is made up of 75 religious orders. Many of you would know, Jesuits, um, Franciscans, and so on, all of those. So I was chairman for that, too. I became very aware of the charisms of other orders and their contributions to Salesians, into education, and so on. Uh, it's been a fantastic life, Michael, for me. Uh, I started in western Tanzania. I was the first parish I was appointed to. There had been no priest there for years. And it was 18 hours from the nearest car going in with a little Suzuki, small little Suzuki car, a mattress, uh, a mosquito net, two lamps and a little box of food. And we started uh, the first Christmas. I remember 13 people were at the regional provincial for the area superior. Uh, we had 34 outstation churches operating. So that's how it began, begins, Michael. And it's not you're standing up on a box or forcing anybody. You just keep proclaiming the word. And the word begins to seep into the life of the communities. And more and more people start coming to hear it. And churches set up their own parish councils, their own catechists, uh, women's groups become huge in the, in, in, in the development, youth groups, then competition start with football, Bible, everything, Michael. So it takes many, many avenues and approaches. <laughs> I'm just dumbfounded here. So how many years have you been in Africa since, yeah. uh, uh, since 1988? 
So I joined the Society of African Missions in 79, a young 18-year-old guy. And I had, it was very difficult, Michael. I wanted to say that. I had a lovely girlfriend at the time, and um, that was not easy. And to be telling her that this thing wouldn't go out of my system, and I had to difficult, difficult thing at the time. Um, I played a lot of football, Michael, and uh, I, we got a break in 1982 from the seminary, and I landed in New York with a football team. They asked me over oh, to play okay. up at Gailey yeah. Park up in the Bronx. Yeah, I know. Is, is that what you call it? Up there, Michael, up that area. I forget exactly. Up near uh, Manhattan College. And um, anyhow, I think I was the only seminarian on the football team. And uh, so, of course, Michael, the guys were going to the beach and they had their girlfriends. So I sort of felt I was in the way after a while, you know. And uh, so I I got a job in construction in New York for the summer. And it was the best summer of my life, working down on the building sites with people here. And, and I went back and then I continued. And, of course, you had to do degrees in history, sociology, um, philosophy, theology. All of that I did and got ordained in 1988 and... I left the green fields of Ireland, Michael, and landed in Nairobi Airport and was picked up by another priest, and then we headed down to Tanzania, and uh, that's how I started. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I, again, I'm just dumbfounded. How do you guys exist? How do you raise money? You said cap in hand, but what do you do? Well, Michael, I come over here to New York, and I go around to people. I explain what we're doing, and... Um, uh, I asked them, will they help us with a donation? Because we need donations very badly, Michael. Because as I said to you, we have no alumni. Other orders have alumni. <laughs> I'm not running them down at all, Michael. You know who those orders are. They have a huge, outre- uh, huge outreach into the business community. And God bless them all. They do wonderful work in Africa. So for us, we come. And uh, then for Shalom, I set it up uh, 12 years ago, Michael, 12 years ago, just to address these conflict zones so that the gospel could take deep root. And when I say the gospel could take deep root, it's not about quantitative numbers, it's about the values of the gospel, Michael. And, uh, and then that we could address religious ideological extremism, Michael. And that takes a lot of money. Can I say here, Michael, uh, just before, um, before addressing maybe fundraising and that, because a lot of people um, don't understand sometimes... Uh, how religion is connected to religious ideological extremism. And we know what we're talking about, the extremism um, uh, that has created such havoc in the Middle East and now in Africa in many areas. But people often ask me when I come, they say, Father Patrick, how much is religion the cause of conflict and all of that? So I always make the point that religion is not the underlying cause of conflict, but it becomes a major factor when it's preoccupied or energized by quantitative institutional membership rather than qualitative spiritual transformation. In other words, when the institutions become more important than the message of the gospel, the message of the scriptures, then religion becomes a major factor. So we have always been very careful with that. And uh, so we're, we're making that point always in our work when we're addressing the root causes of of uh, the extremism, especially in the slums. And um, it's very difficult. But for all of that work, Michael, we need a lot of funding. America America gave uh, a big award back in 2013. They gave the International Caring Award. And um, the Dalai Lama got it the year before me. And then we registered Shalom here in in uh, America as a 501c3. Yeah, I just want to explain yeah, to that. That means that. if, you get, if we give you guys any money, we get a tax deduction. 
<laughs> yes. All right. That's right. A hundred percent, Michael. And um, we, we we set it up, and uh, we have an office here in New York. Um, and of course, we have a website, but we have an office here in New York that helps us out tremendously on that at one one seven West Twenty Eighth Street. One one seven West Twenty Eighth Street. I just want to repeat that. Yeah. West Twenty Eighth Street here, and the Shalom. If you do, anyone comes there, Shalom, second floor. So, and people can send in. Oh, please do. That's the point. Okay to say this, Michael. I don't want to be. <laughs> okay, so so Michael, um, at our office here in uh, West Twenty Eighth, uh, they can make uh, they can make a, a table by check and, and address it to Michael. It has to be addressed to the Shalom Center of Africa. That's what the check has to be made out to. And then, as I said to you. The office is at 117 West 28th Street, New York, 10001. And they can also use PayPal on Facebook as well. Our website is www.shalom.org. Can you repeat that website again? And then for those of you out there, maybe you want to get your pencil and, and write this down. Yeah. Yeah, Michael, I'm aware of a very <laughs> strong Irish accent, so I hope they can understand me. <laughs> so, Michael, our website is www. Okay, now, let me ask you something. What what has been the most satisfying part of, of your job? Can you give us one experience where you said, you know, I I, I did what I was supposed to do, and, and thank God? Michael, um, first and foremost, on an overview, my greatest joy has come from people, from helping people to experience the divine. And I'm always telling people this, to give the divine a chance to work in their lives. That we all carry an entity of life in our bodies, all of us. We have the physicality, the body, that entity of life leads at death. But it's in that entity of life that we experience the divine presence. So my life has been about that. Give, asking people to invite the divine presence so that they experience the presential presence of the Lord alive in their own life. So that's on an overview. In terms of... Um, Work, Michael, I was very proud of that first mission in the sense that by the time we were leaving there, we had 34 churches open proclaiming the good news. We had a clinic up and running. We had a women and children's development center helping women with sewing and typing and all of that type of thing. A secondary school had started. So you get a lot of, you get a lot of joy out of that, Michael. But as I said to you, Michael, I was 19 years in administration. I lecture at the university, too. I do a course on conflict resolution and reconciliation. Uh, administration was important. That can be draining because you're looking after all the, making sure all the missions are looked after in terms of per- personnel, finance, uh, transport, and so on. But, Michael, then when this hit me, that in these conflict environments, that the gospel values could not take deep root. Just think of it, Michael. I've been in environments where thousands of people are on the move, Michael, with donkeys and all their goods because they've been attacked by the other tribe. And you're talking about semi-arid terrain. People have no idea how bad this can be at times. And I know you crew an idea, Michael. We have made 700, 720 interventions. That's workshops. Week in, week out in 28 conflict zones. And out of that, Michael, the people from both sides have agreed, and they're up and operational today. They agreed on 529 school educational development projects where the schools become interreligious, interethnic, and they look after them. 
So we help the people with cement and steel originally to build the school. They have to supply the site, the sand, the water, the stone and the labour. you got to put some sweat into this, Michael, so that when the school up, they own it. And then we help with books and desks. And I'll tell you a thing that became great joy for the people was when we started bringing them solar energy. Because even up in the semi-desert, it gets cold at night and children went home from schools, Michael, um, and all they had was the firelight sometimes just to read and write. But suddenly when we started putting solar energy, solar lighting on the schools, they were back in in the schools from seven to nine at night and some of them in from five to half six. So, Michael, and they know education is the way out. So it was really that, my, all of that, Michael, it's it given me great joy and still does. And that's why I'm so energetic still about spreading our presence, Michael, into other conflict zones. Where we work, Michael, there are two to three AK-47 per family. Just not out of, not out of a want to go to war, but to defend themselves. So you've got to imagine that. I know you have problems over here in America with, 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 with uh, issues of attacks on schools and children, and it's really tough, and our heart is with those, those problems. As well. I'm sorry, you said two to three AK-47s per family? Yeah. Yeah. You can, Michael, you know, in, in a conflict uh-huh. environment, definitely too, Michael, you know, because it all depends on how close you are to the front line, you know, in these environments, Michael. So, and you're probably asking, where have these guns all come from? Well, of course, they were yes. manufactured in Africa, so you know where they were manufactured, Michael. <laughs> so, um, I'm not laughing at that, Michael, in the sense of it. I'm just saying, you know, people offer a blame and conflict out there, but the, the origins of these uh, conflicts... Um, you know, there's so many, so many um, uh, issues involved, Michael, so many issues involved. So disarmament is one thing and feeding the hungry is one, another thing. But if you, if you don't address the underlying causes, Michael, they continue to recur. And it's like, who wants to keep pouring money through a sieve addressing the symptoms? So we set up Shalom to address the underlying causes. And that's why we insisted, Michael, that everyone would have a master's degree. So we didn't want any wishy-washy, holy, joy, <laughs> feely, feely, do-gooders. It was either all or nothing with us, Michael. We're not into that. And, and, and that's why the men and women we have, they have made a real vocational commitment to go and work. They could be other else, uh, elsewhere, but they are there with us, and um, we are doing our best to keep the whole operation yeah. going. But well, we let me ask you, how much, how much in salaries do these guys collect? Well, Michael, um, I put it this way to you now, Michael, right? You've got to ask, well, what are they being paid for? So they have, been, they have a master's degree in peace studies or political science or development. So what are they delivering in the conflict zone? They are delivering that knowledge and the facilitation skills empowering the people to be the architects of their future. So the average salary, Michael, is approximately uh, about... One thousand to fifty for somebody with a master's degree. For that delivery, yeah, and that's the product they're delivering, Mike. Yeah, because people—it's not about just paying salaries. They are delivering that, and they are present in the environment. And uh, of course, there's guys like myself, Michael. We we were not just with him. I mean, my own my own background. I have a master's in peace studies, a doctorate in political science. And we lose people, Michael. And we had a, a wonderful man just died of COVID on us. And uh, he was Professor Omoka. He joined us in 2009. Um, wonderful man. He was a Quaker by faith. 
uh, he he taught for 10 years at Kent University in Ohio State because that's where he originally did his his uh, bachelor's, his master's and his doctor's, and then he came back to Africa. But he got COVID and he died on us, and it was awful tragedy, Michael. And he was our director of research because we underpin all our work with academic research that can stand up to the highest academic rigor, Michael. And that's why universities here in America continue to ask um, uh, me, you know, even I was recently on to the Kennedy School of Public Policy. They've asked would I come up and do a lecture up up at Harvard. 2016, I did a lecture at the law school in Harvard for their clinical program on mediation and negotiation and the University of Texas, whereas the University of San Diego, I have done one, DePaul, Chicago, and then I gave a, a big input, well, I think one evening, Michael, I think one evening, it was one evening, Michael, in Washington to diplomats and people in the security intelligence world because they were interested in our approach to the transformation of religious ideological extremism. Uh, a thing I would like to say, Michael, if it's okay there, is, you know, it's one thing thrown out these conceptual titles, but you have to understand the transformation that's needed. First of all, from understanding what makes a terrorist, Michael. So you have to see it along a continuum from tolerance to terrorism. First thing, tolerance begins to move to fundamentalism. But a fundamentalism, he's still locked in his own world. But then there's another radicalization that moves him to nonviolent extremism. Nonviolent, Michael. And you, you, you could say we have some nonviolent uh, extremism in the democracies of the world where you have polarization of politics, polarization of the media. People don't want to listen to the other side anymore. In fact, they don't want the other side to be heard. And often they want the other side wiped off the social political narrative. Now, when you get into that mindset, Michael, of nonviolent extremism, a little bit of radicalization can push people to manifest violent extremism operationalized in terroristic acts where they take up the guns and start doing things. So that's how that's what happens with the process of radicalization. And I listened one day, I won't name the since I came over here, and there was professors and doctors was on a, one of your major TV channels in America um, uh, about a definition of terrorism. What is it? Terrorism are people who want to purge society of all views, whether they be uh, religious or political that are contrary to their own. And of course that, Michael, is, is disaster for society because growth comes from the clash of ideas or the the engagement of ideas. I don't like using clashes because it's a bit of a, um, it has a, a sort of a violent connotation, but the clash of ideas. So we have to be very careful, Michael, and uh, democracy of course as well is taking root in, in, in Africa. Um, I would say at the moment that ideology has a huge part on election choice or on, on on party choice, what party you vote for. It's still a lot of it is ethnic mathematics, but it is there. Of course, democracy also faces the problems is that we often end up with mediocrity in leadership, and that happens throughout the world, I think, because so many brilliant people will not let their names go forward for politics. And the other thing is, I think, that we face so often with uh, democracy is the issue of parasitism, Parasit- parasite where people go in and engage in politics for other ulterior uh, motives rather than... All right, well, we've ran out of time, really, but uh, one final note. Please give your website again and your address and where you, people can send uh, contributions. So, Michael, again, we have a Shalom office on the second floor 
of 117 West 28th Street, New York, New York, 10001. Our website is the shalomconflictcenter.org. My own name, if anyone wants to Google, is Patrick Devine, Father Patrick Devine. You can go Father Patrick Devine Africa or Father Patrick Devine Kenya or Shalom. And um, we will be delighted to have all your help. And uh, we need all your help because the... The security of Africa and the development of Africa is so important for the security and the development of all the world. And we want to continue to proclaim the good news and for the gospel values to take deep root and to have respect for all mankind and womankind, whatever way we want to put it, regardless of religion or whatever belief they have or ethnic or background, that we're all in this together. For Thank you, Father Patrick. Humankind. I hope to hear from you again soon. And Michael, I really appreciate and God bless all your listeners. All right. Thank you very much, Father. We'll see you soon. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my to assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. I'll tell you, it was very interesting. I mean, we've talked about, you know, Eastern Africa before with Colonel Ryan, who was over there in, in counterterrorism and whatever. And I'm curious to see what he was going to say about um, Father Divine's mission or whatever, and we'll try to get him in the next week or two. But, you know, we're, we're thinking we should probably do something with some of the charities that we work with. Um, now, our clients, I, I would say a, a lot of our clients are interested in the Franciscans on 31st Street in Manhattan, and I think we'll have somebody from there. Uh, you know, the Franciscan Mission, we'll have somebody from there order on in the next couple of weeks. Of course, Father Paul hopefully is going to be back, back on, and he's a Capuchin friar. 
And sometimes, you know, in the machinations of the church, it's hard to explain between a Capuchin friar and a Franciscan friar, and the Franciscan friars of the renewal. Yeah, who are it all, gets a bit Byzantine. Yes, they, they're all Franciscans, but they have disagreements in vision or whatever, so they they kind of break off or whatever, so... And um, so, you know, we're going to what we're going to try to start to do is figure out a way to offer our clients information on a lot of the charities that you may have heard about on the show through various things. Of course, another one of those that we're going to talk about is the Big Cure Initiative, which is with the John Wayne Foundation and the members of the John Wayne family that you've heard from on here, as well as um, Uncle Ted, who's over as chancellor of Texas Tech, where they're working together for cancer research. So. That's once again, we haven't figured out exactly how we're going to do it, but we want to have a database for, you know, an information package for clients to look through the various places that we think are worth supporting and, you know, better than that money being taxed away, right? Yeah. And, and you know, by the way, I, I don't know, we're, we we've not, have not been as good as we used to be about updating Facebook or whatever, but uh, are we getting the pictures we have with when we have met the people from the John Wayne Cancer Foundation? We're going to get them on on the website. Those are going to go up. Yep, and we're going to our website itself. We need to we need to revamp entirely. So that's I mean I think something a little more bare bones that gets updated more frequently is probably in order. But y'all don't really need to get into the weeds on that one. Right. But we did have a great time in Fort Worth uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah. when my wife is still coming back. But when um, she gets back, we'll we'll probably go in more in depth. But no, it was a wonderful time, Fort Worth. I, it was my first time really spending time in Fort Worth, and it's a it's a very nice town. So, and it's very for John Wayne fans. I mean, it was very interesting. the The John Wayne experience. It was interesting. I wish it was bigger. Um, yeah. but you know they have a lot of his costumes, like twenty of his costumes from different films, including Sands of Iwo Jima and The Searchers. There are yeah. items that are gifted by certain people. You know, Christopher Mitchum donated some stuff from sets when he was that he was on with John Wayne. Yeah, and, and there's some great pictures, including pictures, you know, that are not from films or whatever. Like this one picture I saw it before once in a magazine, but it's a, a group of actors that were with John Wayne on his, um, I think, after winning uh, True Grit and the celebration of his, his Academy Award for True Grit and the celebration of his career. And the guys you don't expect to have on there, like Michael Caine and yeah. Fred McMurray Clint and Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. What? Clint Eastwood was there, I think. Clint Eastwood, yep. yeah, guys you don't usually, yeah. you know, associate with John Wayne or, you know, being with John Wayne. But it, it's it's a fun thing. And we had an opportunity to talk to Patrick there, and we had a nice long conversation with Patrick. Yeah. And he was talking about some of the movies he was in, which I don't know. We we just picked it up, Michael, yeah. Beyond Atlantis. Oh, excellent. Okay. So, okay. I mean, I never heard of that picture, yeah. but Patrick had some interesting experiences yeah. in that movie. Filming that, yeah. Yeah, so, so we got that, and hopefully we're going to see that soon, oh, outstanding. soon at home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I again, you know, we, we also met Ethan, which we really, yeah. I had just shaken hands with him a couple of times, and that was it. But we got to know a little bit more about Ethan. He was there. His dog was there. What was his dog name? Oh, good grief. Jin? Uh, Finn. No, Finn. 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 Yeah, so it was interesting to talk to Patrick. First time, I, uh, not Patrick, Ethan. It's first time we really uh, got to yeah. know him. But and of course, any... Anita Lakava was there. So it, yeah. it, you'll hear more about her from Mom, I'm sure. Yeah, but... because she corresponds with her, you know, yeah. more constantly than we do. So we're coming to the end of our show right now. Again, if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, uh, touch base with us when we're doing our seminars at the end of this month. Uh, they're going to be advertised all over these stations. And if you want to schedule an appointment for one of the seminars, give us a call at 
718-238-6500. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about estate planning. I think we're going to go into politics a little bit. So thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Thank you for all your support. It's great to see listeners every week at one of our offices, and I hope to see you there soon someday. Thanks so much for being with us, and in honor of Father's mission in Africa, we're going to be playing Amazing Grace to close out this week. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.